had someone tell you about an experience that makes you think, that sounds great, but not actually true, is it? You know, those times where you listen just enough to nod along and go, oh wow, in all the right places, but really in your head you're like, what a liar! We all do that, right? It's definitely not just me. I really hope that's a yes. Anyway, I think if you spoke to my hero of the faith and he told you about his life, it'd be like having one of those conversations. You'd be going, yeah, that sounds great. But in your head, be like, as if my hero of the faith is Elijah. Maybe you've heard of Elijah, maybe you haven't. He's someone I aspire to be like in the way I live my life with God. Now bear with me here, I'm not saying I want everyone to think I'm lying when I tell them about my life. To give you a bit of context, Elijah lived way before Jesus was born. We read about his life in the Old Testament. He was a prophet, which is someone who communicates with God. Back in Elijah's time, only certain people could do that. And God used them to get his messages through to the rest of the people who couldn't hear God's side of any conversation they had with him. Not everyone could meet with God then in the way that's true for us now. If you've never met God before and you want to, please come and find me after this talk because I'd love to chat to you about it. So, Elijah had a relationship with God because they spoke to each other. Elijah prayed. God replied. Elijah got to know God the same way we get to know each other, when we chat and listen to each other. We spend time together. And that's how Elijah got to know God. If Elijah was here, and I could give him the mic, and ask him to tell us about some of the stuff he'd done, he'd have some cracking stories to tell. There's the time when he lived in the desert. Now, obviously, there's not much food about, but he was alright because ravens, like giant crows that steal food from other animals, ravens flew over to Elijah carrying bread and meat from I don't know where and just dropped it off for him to eat. Or maybe Elijah would tell us about the time when his friend's son died. Death wasn't game over for Elijah. He went to this boy's dead body, laid on top of it, which is gross, he laid on top of the body and prayed three times that this boy would come back to life. And the third time, it worked. What? Or there's the time we're going to look at today, when Elijah was up a mountain in front of a massive crowd and flames fell from the sky when he prayed. Honestly, I don't know if I would believe him. So why is this guy my hero? Remember what I said about Elijah being able to communicate with God. He had a relationship with God and all this stuff he did was based on that relationship. Elijah lived in the desert because God gave him a heads up that it was the safest place for him to be. The queen at the time had a history of killing prophets so Elijah didn't want to be easily found. Elijah's friend thought that her son had died as a punishment for her mistakes. But Elijah had spent time with God. He knew that God forgives mistakes. 
He prayed that the son would come back to life so that his friend would know God didn't want to punish him. He prayed that flames would fall from the sky because he wanted the crowd to know that God is real. I want to have that kind of relationship with God. I want to meet with him. I want to know his character. And I want to love him so much that I can't help being like, look who God is. He's real. Look what he can do. I'm hoping that by the time we're done today, we'll start to see how we can all be like Elijah in our relationship with God. We can know God. We can communicate with him and respond to him. And it doesn't actually mean we have to be all wild and ethereal. Prophets are practical. Today, we can all meet with God. We can all be prophetic. We don't need to go and live in the desert or expect food to appear on our doorstep. Unless you shop online, in which case you can definitely expect that to happen. My point is, Elijah the prophet is a more accessible hero than his experiences might make him seem. Prophets are practical. Now, Holly's going to tell us about that time Elijah prayed and fire fell from the sky. So Elijah's just been told um, by God to go and meet Ahab. So starting at verse 16 in chapter 18 of 1 Kings. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull that was given to them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or travelling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears as as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. 
Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two two seers of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it the third time. The water ran down round the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I've done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones and the soil and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and answered and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Can we recap what we've just heard? Because this sounds mental. We've got Elijah, the last prophet of the Lord, the only person around who can communicate with God. He's sending out a mass invitation to 850 people, asking them to meet him on a mountain. He challenges these people to a kind of prayer face-off. One man versus 850 people. The man praying to God, the people praying to idols. Idols, by the way, are just anything we prioritise above God. But in this case, they have names. Baal and Asherah. In this prayer face-off, the challenge is to set fire to some wood and burn meat as an offering to whichever being you're praying to. Bit weird to us now, but that was normal in those days. The challenge sounds pretty simple, right? Except there's a ground rule. The people, including Elijah, can't be the ones to light the fire. All they're allowed to do is ask for their prayer to be answered. Elijah is asking God, the people are asking the idols. Whichever being answers by sending fire to light the wood and burn the meat offering, that being is the true God. Now the passage only talks about 450 of the 850 people that were invited. I don't know what happened to the other 400, maybe they couldn't make it. They had other plans. But anyway, these guys do all sorts, all day, to try and persuade the idols to set fire to their offering. They call out, they dance, they slash themselves open so their blood pours out. But nothing happens. Elijah steps up right at the end of the day, at just the time it was customary to burn the offering. He's poured water all over his wood so that it was impossible for any man to light it and he asked God to answer him. Fire falls, wood, meat, 
water blazing up for all the people to see, including Elijah. Every one of them saw the fire fall and knew God did that. God listened to Elijah. That's amazing. And there are three things Elijah does here that I want to pick up on. Firstly, he invites 850 people to come and watch him pray. I don't know about you, but I don't think I could do that. I was at work the other day, as I said, I work at a bar and restaurant, and the chef had crushed his hand. Now, this guy believes in God. We've prayed together before, and I really wanted to pray for his hand. I wanted to pray that he'd be healed straight away so that the chef would know God can heal, and then he could go and cook without being in loads of pain, and maybe he'd give his life to Jesus along the way. The thing is, though, the chef had come to the bar to get some ice to put on his hand. And one of the other guys from work was standing right there. So I bottled it. I wasn't brave enough to pray for his hand when there was one person watching. Elijah invited 850 people to watch him pray. They weren't just there, he asked them to come. It's so brave. Sometimes though, we can do things that are brave, but kind of pointless. The same chef had his birthday this week, and one of his presents was a skydiving ticket. Now, jumping off a plane that's 15,000 feet above ground is brave, but it doesn't really achieve anything. So why should anyone watch us pray? Why is it worth inviting people? Let's think about that time for me at work. I obviously didn't pray, but let's imagine I had invited them to pray with me. I'm standing at the bar. The chef is here with his big, puffy, swollen, probably broken hand. It wasn't, but this is the situation that I was in. And the other guy we work with is behind the bar. I put my hand out and ask God to heal the chef's hand. What might have come next? Crazy idea this, but maybe God might have healed the hand. That would have been epic. <laughs> and it would have been pretty hard for either of these guys to explain away. They'd have had a cracking story to tell when they got home. You'll never guess what happened at work today, right? <laughs> maybe I'd have prayed and God would have relieved the pain, but none of the swelling or the bruising, which probably would have meant some kind of discussion about whether it was actually God, or whether the pain relief was just psychological. Is it possible for both to be true? I don't know. Or I could have prayed, and it could have been that nothing happened to the hand at all. God doesn't always do the things we ask him to do. Sometimes his answer to our prayer is no. So, if that happened, have I just wasted my time praying? Or, worse than that, have I just proved that God isn't real because he didn't heal the hand when I asked him to? 
Or have I just introduced God to the topic of conversation in a context where it's pretty likely neither of these guys would have thought that God could be relevant? In reality, I didn't pray. I bottled it. None of these potential scenarios happened because I didn't give God a chance to say yes or no or I'll make it feel better but it's still going to have to heal. I didn't give God a chance to speak. Do you know what else didn't happen that day? We didn't speak about God. If I'd invited these guys to pray, no matter what God's answer had been, or even if the shepherd said, no, actually, you can't pray for my hand because that's a bit weird. Suddenly, God would have been on the agenda for our conversation. These guys at work would have had to think about their response to the idea that we might bother God with something so mundane and practical as a physical injury. Elijah was brave enough to invite people to pray with him and witness him engaging in a relationship with God. Elijah didn't do the miracle. He didn't conjure up the fire. He didn't know how God was going to answer, but he communicated with God and he knew that God had asked him to pray. Maybe I'm not ready to pray that boldly in front of a massive crowd of people, but I have a relationship with God. Next time I'm at work and I see something I know God cares about, like the fact that the shepherd just crushed his hand, I want to be more like Elijah. He was brave enough to invite people to see him speak to God. He was brave enough to invite God to speak, even though he didn't know what God's answer would be. I could have invited these guys to pray with me, and no matter what the outcome, it would have been worth it. And when we're with someone who doesn't have a relationship with God, being prophetic is a bit more like Old Testament times. God can use the things we say to get a message through to someone who's probably not going to have a conversation with God otherwise. After God responded to Elijah's prayer, the 450 people watching knew that there was something about God that was different to the idols they'd been praying to. Whether God responds by performing a miracle or just allowing us to realise or remember that God cares about everyday situations, Every time we invite people into our relationship with God, we all get to know a bit more about what he's really like. This is a practical reality about being prophetic. Prophets are practical. If we're going to invite people to pray with us day to day, we're going to have to at least be bold enough to pray with each other. So let's do that now, especially if someone needs healing. Just turn to the person next to you and see if they like prayer for anything or anything that they want to be healed. It could be an illness or you might have stubbed your toe earlier and it still hurts. If you're not comfortable being prayed for yourself, then you can think of someone you know who's ill or injured and ask to pray for them instead. We've got two minutes, so just turn to the person next to you, find out quickly what they want to pray for and then just ask God for it. Let's go.
that's brilliant. If there's anything more that you want to keep praying for, there'll be time after the meeting. But let's keep let's keep learning about Elijah. The the second thing I want us to notice is that Elijah had no plan B. I'm talking about the fact that he drenched his pile of wooden meat with 12 big buckets of water. He even dug a trench around it so there was a moat surrounding his offering. Have you ever tried to light a wet match? Or if you were going to put a fire out, what would you chuck on it? Water, right? So Elijah's making it harder to set this thing on fire. Does that mean he's working against God? I'm going to say no. I don't think it's unusual at all for working with God to contradict our expectations of what should happen. God's logic is different from ours. Let's have a look at what's happening in Elijah's situation. He needs fire, which is something that he could get on his own because we've been lighting fire since caveman time. But Elijah decides to ask God instead. That's praying for provision. Then, having decided he's going to ask God to provide, he cuts off his own ability to provide so that if God doesn't do it, he just won't have what he's asking for. That's trusting for provision. (laughs) Now, we're not all going to climb a mountain, challenge 850 people to a prayer duel, and then ask God to set fire to a pile of wood and raw meat that we've just soaked in water. So, how can we take Elijah's prayer and apply it to our own lives? In a few weeks, I'm going to be in the Philippines, getting to know the culture there and doing what I can to equip their community to support themselves. I'm going because I believe God called me to go, but I had to pay for my place on the team. At the same time that I was sending off my application, I was also reviewing my finances. I had enough to pay for the trip, but i just graduated, so I was making that transition from student loan to monthly wages, and I wanted to do it well. Even though I had enough in my account to pay for the trip, I didn't know what my monthly cash flow was going to look like yet. So I prayed about my finances and asked God what was best for me to do. Over those weeks while I was praying, (coughs) I started to want to give money away. All my logic was telling me that I should hang on to the money I had, but every time I prayed, I couldn't shift this feeling that I should give it away. That wasn't my feeling. That was God's response to my question. So eventually, I did it. I gave away enough that I couldn't actually afford to go to the Philippines anymore. But I'd already applied. (laughs) I kind of didn't have much choice but to do like Elijah did and ask God to give me what I needed. And he did. And do you know what? Cash didn't rain from the sky. Ravens didn't drop anonymous checks off outside my doorstep. (laughs) When I asked God how he wanted to provide for my trip, I knew that I just needed to trust him. No fundraising, no selling things, no asking for extra shifts at work. 
think that desire to trust God was actually God promising that I would earn enough money to pay for it. And that's exactly what happened. Does that mean I'm less pathetic than Elijah? Because God chose to provide for me in a less miraculous way than he provided for Elijah. I don't think so. Being prophetic is listening to God. Living prophetically is choosing to respond to what God says. Prophets are practical. Our response to God can be as mundane as giving some money away and trusting that our monthly paycheck will be enough to pay for everything that we need. So what are you facing in life right now that you need provision for? Maybe like me, you already have what you need, but you didn't need to trust God for the resources you've got at the moment. Or maybe you are trusting God for provision, but refusing the resources that he's offering you because you're waiting for miraculous ravens. Is that what God asked you to do? Because it could be. But don't assume that's how it's going to happen unless he said so. Now, I want to encourage you to spend some time, whether it's tonight when you get home or on a morning throughout the week, spend some time praying about this and ask God how he wants to provide for you. Ask God how you can trust him more for provision. God does provide. And there's one last thing Elijah did on the mountain, which I love. It inspires me. For this prayer duel thing on the mountain, each team needed to make a structure to present their offering on. Something they could pile wood onto and put the meat on top. When we heard about altars in the passage, we were talking about these structures. Now, the 450 just crack on and build any old altar. But in verse 30, we see that Elijah repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. I love this because it's so deliberate and so compassionate. Somebody had been on this mountain before and built a structure so that they can make an offering to God just like Elijah wanted to do. Since then, that structure had been been torn down, but Elijah saw it and he valued the efforts of the person who built it before him enough that he would choose to repair the work they'd done rather than just going for it and building an altar in whichever way he thought was best. The passage goes on. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come. In other words, these people had been communicating with God too. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. Elijah has this profound respect for his heritage and for the work God had done with people who came before him. It's not the easiest way to do things. Repairing somebody else's altar meant that Elijah didn't get the whole say in what it looked like and how big it was or even where it was going to be built. He would have had to let go of his perception of what a good altar should be like 
And instead, look at what somebody else has done and think, what can I add to this? How can I repair it so that I can use it to make another offering to God? Repairing the altar like this is a prophetic message from Elijah to God. He's saying to God, I care about what you've already done. I want to work with you, God, and I know that means working with the people you've already been working with. It means I'm not always going to get my way. But that's okay, because your way, the way that you've shown me through, through what's been done before by people who already wanted to work with you, your way is better than mine. That's what Elijah is saying to God by repairing the altar that he found. It's a practical action based on relationship with God. Prophets are practical. So what altars are we repairing? What altar can you repair in your life? Have you even noticed that your altar's been torn down? Because it's hard to see what's not there anymore. What do you want to do for God? And who has he done it with before that you can learn from? Even if it means you don't get to do exactly what you think should be done. And also, what new thing can you add to what's been done before to make it work today? Like Elijah adding new stones to the old altar. I want to be be the first to say that I'm challenged by this. I'm dead keen, and when I want to do something for God, I'll just crack on and be like, oh, this is the way to do it, right? I'm not so far from those 450 people who just went off and built the altar wherever they liked. I want to be like Elijah do. I want to work with God. I want to value what he's already done. I know that I won't notice the broken ruin of an old altar that used to be there unless God points it out to me. Mm. He can't point it out to me if I'm not listening. If we want to work with God, it's so important that we allow ourselves to be prophetic. We need to listen for what God is saying and not shy away because we're not prophetic enough. Prophets are practical. Elijah wasn't prophetic because he was fed by ravens or because when he prayed, a boy came back to life and fire fell from the sky. God did those things. Elijah was prophetic because he listened to God and he responded. He invited people to come up a mountain with him so that they could find out together what God wanted to do. He put himself in a position where he had no choice but to depend on God to answer his prayer. He noticed an old, broken altar and he chose to repair it. Working with God instead of assuming that he could build a better altar for God on his own. These are practical things and this is what it's like to be prophetic. This is what it's like to have a relationship with God. So how can you invite someone to see what it's like to have a relationship with God? 
God to give you what you need? How can you work with God to repair something that was made for God, but has been torn down? I don't know about you, but I want to be like Elijah. I want to be like Elijah because he does all these things. I want to be like Elijah because he listens to God and responds to God's reply. If I'm ever going to be like Elijah, I'm going to need God's help. So if you want to be like him too, you can pray with me now. Let's all stand up so that we're more alert. We've been sat down for a while. You might find it helpful to close your eyes and put your hand over your heart so that if your mind gets distracted, your body can remind you that you're actually praying. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that you're here with us. Thank you that you never go away. Thank you that we live in a time when we can all have a relationship with you. Jesus, thank you that you died to make that possible. Thank you for Elijah and the practical way he led a prophetic life. God, we want to live today the way Elijah lived all those years ago. We know that our culture is different to Elijah's. We know that the world has changed over time for others, so the practical things we do might look different to the things that Elijah did. But God, we know that you haven't changed. You're the same God today that you were when Elijah knew you. Lord, thank you that we can trust you like Elijah trusted you. Thank you that you care about the details of our lives. Thank you that when we invite people to see what it's like to have a relationship with you, we will always get to know you a bit more. Thank you that you know what we need and you promise you'll always provide for us, God. Lord, Father, we're sorry for any damage that we've done to work that you've done before. God, we want to work with you. We want to help you repair what's been broken. Thank you that you listen to our prayers, God. Thank you that you love us. Please help us be more like Elijah. Please help us keep listening to you and responding to what you say. <laughs>